Hey everybody, welcome back to The Pixelist, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will, that's Blake, and today we're here to talk about our bread and butter, a little bit of Critical Role, baby. Ooh, baby. Let's Episode go. Episode 53, Ripples. Ripples. I think you have to whisper it. Yeah, I, I agree. It can't just be like, Episode 53, Ripples. Ripples. Like it's gotta be, yeah. Well, that was ripples. more like nonchalant, I feel like. Like, uh. Ripples. <laughs> Yeah, like it's it ASMR a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bro. Hey, okay, I gotta ask you something. Did you know? Let's just let's just. I want to dive into something really spicy real quick. Yeah, because this gets more hate than. I'm gonna say something controversial. Oh, here we go. More than more than you say. Strap it in. Yeah, I just let's just get right into it because here's the deal. We got a few hate watchers on our <laughs> show. For you guys who are unaware, we have people who angrily watch and let us know how much they dislike the channel, and then yeah. they keep watching. <laughs> so this is just going to be like prime material for those kind of people, yeah. and it's going to be as controversial as you saying you love David from The Last of Us. That is, that is not true. <laughs> I think you said if you were in his shoes, you'd do the same thing. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's, you're taking me out of context, but just continue. All right, all right. The Sam Regal ASMR commercial. Mm. I love it. You, okay. I think, it's, I, I think it's hilarious. Okay. But dude, every time it's on, I see people who are so angry in Twitch chat, pretty much spamming. Why is this still playing? I hate this. Not again. You know, and it's pretty consistent. Like mm -hmm. I remember like here I am like a naive, casual little CR watcher finally tuning in live to see it. And it comes up and I'm like, this is great. And I'm reading, you know, the <laughs> chat to see like, where can I form some camaraderie? And alas, I see people who are uh, not so happy about it. Where do you stand? Yeah, I thought I thought you were originally going to say that you hated it. And I was going to be like, well, guess what? That's not controversial. Because, yeah, like so many people are so passionate about hating that. I don't. <laughs> I thought it was funny, too. <laughs> It's definitely not one of those like when someone you know when someone posts like hey uh, unpopular opinion and then they post like the total mainstream thing. <laughs> yeah. so you thought I was going there, but I was going the other way. Yeah, I right. love it. I love that one, and I love um, Marisha's um, Twitch sub one as well, hmm. which there, also sometimes gets hate. Which I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Anyway, there's there's been a, there's been some good ones. Um, they're they're pretty creative about those little ads. I mean, yeah, I I honestly thought. Sam's ASMR is really funny too. And I'm I'm unless I'm mistaken now, we've gotten a couple iterations of it. I think there was at least two. Like there's been two different yeah, times okay. where they've done that bit. Which is funny because they have to have seen the hate as well. So it's funny <laughs> that they just doubled down and did another one. Um <laughs> I don't know. Doubled it. My best guess is that like for some people, maybe like the noise itself is like an irritant, you know? Yeah, okay. Like, I have to imagine it's at least something like that and not just a pure hatred for the concept, right? But I don't yeah, know. It's got to be something. I'm not like super well-versed in the world of ASMR. And so I'm assuming, yeah, there's some kind of like issue with it in general. People are like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. But yeah, uh, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that like it's my favorite ad ever. But yeah, I thought it was funny and I, I do not have the... <laughs> irrational hate maybe it's yeah. not irrational but yeah I'm, I'm not one of those so um, uh typical to our pixelist videos that's the uh random 
uh, <laughs> random share before the, our, our discussion today. That's right. So. I mean, you know what? I, I feel like I feel like and I'm, I guess, coping here, but I feel like the people like this portion of our of our show at least i first hope they comment. do first comment pinned you guys shut not. up <laughs> so we're here to talk some cr we also have our giveaway video which unfortunately if you're watching this video you're too late because we're going straight into the giveaway after this yeah uh but we'll have another one soon whenever we hit ten thousand subs and uh yeah also have some last of us final thoughts coming out later this week and some Diablo final thoughts from That's the right. beta, uh, which we'll be discussing. I'm nervous. I'm nervous to talk to you about it. You are interesting. Interesting. I just am. I am. So. Oh, you know. Well, okay. I was, I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it for that conversation. All right. Um, All right. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, other than that, um, we are doing worlds beyond number. We are uh, keeping up with that series. So if you're keeping up with that as well, definitely check that out. Um, and also right before Blake and I sat down to film this critical role, just made an announcement. Um, they have attained, acquired, purchased, uh, the midst podcast. And I actually don't know anything about this, so I don't, I don't want to speak too much on it right here, but from what I understand, <clears throat> excuse me, from what I understand, the midst podcast is this narrative storytelling podcast that previously existed. Um, but critical role is now purchased and they are going to be under the umbrella of critical roles content output now i don't think at least initially it has anything to do with the the world the canon the chronology of critical role or exandria it seems as if it's going to be a separate storytelling entity just under their general umbrella yeah so, i i did read in the youtube announcement they said like in a world like either separate from exandria or like the phrasing was very deliberate that it is entirely yeah, separate i think it was the premise, beyond exandria or something well, like the, that. the premise had me wonder at first because they were like in the premise it's like the, the moon, moon has fallen out of the sky and i'm like <laughs> yeah. is it rudis <laughs> so anyway yeah i thought that's i thought the same thing that definitely adds a little bit of uh layered confusion but i'm pretty sure it is going to be just a separate storytelling franchise if that's a fair word to use um but definitely exciting stuff you know they continue to make very interesting moves as they grow and grow as a company. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that as well. And if any of you are familiar with the midst um, brand, as it were prior to this, definitely let us know in the comments. Cause I'm, I'm curious and I do plan on, you know, finding out more, but have not done that yet. Um, I think that's all I've got. Unless you've yeah, got anything I'm, else. No, I'm ready to ready to rock. Ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, as always, if you are new to our channel, Blake and I like to recap every episode of Critical Role before we dive into our proper discussion of it, and we actually cut that recap out of our podcast and host it separately on YouTube for your viewing convenience. So if you find yourself on that recap video and you want to see, hear our full thoughts, uh, that'll be linked down below. Um, so yeah, without further ado, would you like to kick us off today, my friend? Yeah, so let's talk about what happened in episode 53 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role, titled Ripples. Now, if you remember from the previous episode, there was the encounter between Frida, the Aormaton, and Chetney, uh, where Chetney pretty much scruffed up Frida pretty badly before running off into the wilderness. And the episode begins with the party back at camp, having turned in from the night for the most part. 
And Chetney basically arrives and turns out that Deanna has waited up for him and has stayed awake for him to make sure that he's good. Um, Chetney, as Travis describes it, is covered in blood from, uh, I think, like rabbits or like things that in his wolf form, he's clearly like destroyed and ultimately is like, hey, I, you know, I wanted to tell you, but this is this is something that's been going on with me. And Deanna's curious about it. She's like, hey, so like. Like, what's going on with this? And we get this cool little detail of Chetney having, I think they say like, you know, so many times he's old as balls or whatever, <laughs> that um, one of the reasons he loves this and has considered it such a gift is he feels 200 years younger, uh, which I think was an awesome detail about just getting older, I think. Um, Frida arrives and um, ultimately, um, uh, or maybe it was in the morning, I guess, when they woke up, actually. Uh, but they're looking at Frida, and it's interesting because we talked about, like, what could this mean for Frida, who clearly was bitten by Chetney. Frida's design seems to be a bit more advanced than FCG's, whereas FCG is more, like, metallic uh, in in design. Frida is more human, if that makes sense. Um, has sort of, like, this leathery texture to its figure uh, with this dark liquid that seems to run almost like blood through its body. Um, Chetney inspects to make sure that Frida's okay and rolls a natural one and is like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> uh, and then Deanna also has a role that was like kind of a mid-tier role and ultimately isn't quite sure what this might mean for Frida, but definitely sees puncture wounds. Uh, and Frida essentially is like, hey, I'm I'm good. Like, don't... <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'll be okay. Uh, having said that, the party decides, all right, well, let's continue on to Uthodurn, which they aren't far from. So they travel through the day. And as they arrive in Uthodurn, people are very skittish. And at first I thought it was because it was like, here's this random group of people who are coming into town. But as right. FCG does detect thoughts, begins to realize that there is quite a bit happening in Uthodurn since the Apogee Solstice has begun. Most notably, it seems that divination magic is not working at all. Uh, in fact, they eventually make their way to the Vellum Steeple, uh, sort of the religious place in the town, and uh, actually speak to this woman who, I can't remember her name other than Tilda Swinton, because that's how they <laughs> described her. Um, I think she was like the scribe master something. A scribe um, warden, I think, was like the title. Yeah, and is clearly a very important person here. And they have sort of like this very terse exchange where um, this individual is very cocky and rude. And it's kind of like, you know, what do you want? Uh, there's a lot going on here. And even to the point where Deanna's kind of like, hey, stop being a Karen. Like, <laughs> like, what is your deal? Like, we're trying to help. And the scribe warden's like, well, tell me what you know. If you want to help me, tell me what you know, because, like, we're trying to figure out what's going on here. And they basically trade information. The party shares everything they know about lewdness. They're kind of like, what else do we have to lose at this point? Um, and this individual shares herself that, yeah, divination magic is basically screwed. Uh, no sendings work. Scrying barely works. Uh, teleportations don't seem to work. And most interestingly, age-old enchantments seem to now be broken. Uh, which might have some pretty freaky implications on the world of Exandria at yeah, large. We got, we got a lot to talk about regarding that in our discussion. About, yeah. yeah, about that. Um, somehow, Ukatoa returned. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to talk about it, though. 
Um, but ultimately, they're as they're chatting, um, Chetney actually sneaks off to uh, this woman's office and begins like, you know, prying, eating Skittles, as he describes it. <laughs> and um, basically the party, they, they end up not really finding like a common ground to help one another. The scribe warden's kind of like, well, if you come up with anything else, let me know. But otherwise, I have a lot to deal with right now. So she heads back to the office where Chetney is hiding uh, and interestingly enough, drinks a dark liquid of some kind uh, before Chetney whispers lewdness to Leth and sneaks out of the <laughs> office. Um, the scribe warden also, even though she was being very aloof with the party, she does confer with the other scribes or people in this building and basically says like, hey, give me everything you know about lewdness um, or do whatever research you can. Uh, but ultimately, the party gets distracted because they hear this low, almost like bassy, earthquakey type of boom beneath their feet. Now, the way Uthodurn is described is that it's kind of like this mining city with these mines below the city, and it's almost like a um, uh, like, like a corkscrew, cork yeah, like a, a corkscrew or yeah. whatever. Um, but it, it's this elvish, dwarvish town with different sections that are each called discs. Um, and the party decides, yeah, let's go figure out what this big bassy sound is or what this noise was. Now, they do clock uh, Oltgar's shop, which notably does have a second story to it. And they also clock that there are an enormous amount of glass blades uh, in this town. And Chetney is immediately pretty nervous about this. He's like, I'm definitely not going to Oltgar's shop, uh, which, interestingly enough, has a second floor now. And shares a little bit about the fact that they were in business together, they built toys together until a woman showed up and convinced Altgar to start using metal, and that would be really great, basically. Uh, and Chetney says, yeah, I stabbed them both. <laughs> so I probably don't <laughs> want to go back there. Um, but the glass blades actually aren't here in to look for Chetney, obviously, but something's been happening in the city that they're trying to create a level of um, security or reassurance for the townspeople who are very much spooked and freaked out. A lot of shops are closed down. Um, a lot of businesses are shuttered right now because people are really worried. And we also find out from the scribe warden that they actually didn't realize this was like a worldwide event. They were thinking maybe this was like an Uthodurn and surrounding areas kind of thing. And the fact that it's everywhere is pretty freaky. Um, all this to say, as they're looking for the source of this noise, they see actually the, I think this was the king and queen, right? Yeah. Of the Gwendolian Empire? Or of, like, Uthodurn. Of Uthodurn. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are these whole, because earlier in the episode, they talked about, should we go to the Dwindalian Empire or, you know, the capital? And they were like, that's like weeks. Like, there's no way it's going to happen. So, um, so yeah, the king and queen of Uthodurn, who are being sort of rushed out of the citadel and the doors being locked behind them. Um, and there's hundreds of guards who are basically trying to keep people from going deeper into the Citadel. The party makes their way over there, and through FCG casting fast friends, they find out that there is a statue, a bowl-like statue that has come to life and has murdered tons of guards inside the city and that they are just trying to keep the king and queen safe. Uh, using fast friends, they convince the guards to let them in. Uh, Frida comes in a little bit late, having run kind of reconnaissance for them. And we go to break with a party basically inside of the Citadel. So you want to take it from there? Yeah. So we, we, we pick back up with the group basically trying to decide what to do about this beast that has escaped. 
Um, and so they kind of stealthily are going to slip deeper into this neighborhood surrounding the Citadel just to see what they can find. And everyone. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I think I said they were in the Citadel. I forgot there were like the people shuttered in their homes. Yeah. It, you know, it's end. all it's yeah. all the same area. Um, <clears throat> but if you imagine the Citadel is kind of like the castle, as it were, they're in like the surrounding area right around it. So they're stealthily moving through. And um, as they do, they eventually you know, see this massive bull-like creature that is eight or nine feet tall with bulging muscles and massive horns like six feet long each. Um, and Matt describes it as part of its body seeming immaterial, like ethereal starscapes um, that only manifest when it like needs to become physical to attack or, you know, whatever. Um, it's just kind of pacing around right now and uh, the party wishes they knew more about like what this was, what it wanted, um, but they do seem to get the impression that it looks a bit confused or lost, um, and its eyes are described like these small glowing suns. Imogen wants to learn more about this and wants to try and find if uh, if this was indeed a statue, like maybe there's a plaque that went with the statue and maybe that could give them some more information. Meanwhile, other members of the party are trying to kind of help evacuate people that are still trapped in this portion of the city, um, ushering back towards the gate. And as more and more people do, they become louder. And so they're worried that this is going to draw the attention of the beast. So Deanna casts like a guardian of faith to kind of stand there and guard the people just in case they do draw the attention. <clears throat> Imogen has, um, while this is happening, gone stealth and kind of goes down to the Citadel itself to see if she can, you know, find more about this this statue, this plaque, perhaps. Um, and inside, she decides to follow the path of the most destruction, thinking like it must have come from this way. And at the heart of the Citadel, there is a throne room. And near it, there, near the entry to that, there is this large pedestal um, that the beast has made its way to and is currently just circling around it, um, as if like searching for something. So Imogen decides to open her mind with her, you know, special ability and see if she can read the thoughts of this thing. Um, but Matt describes it as being kind of alien to her. Um, there is no language to it, only emotion. And she senses fear, anger, frustration and confusion. She then has a natural 20 perception check to look for this plaque that she's looking for. And she does see one that um, is kind of near this broken and cracked pedestal and rubble. Um, but it's in Elvish, so she can't read it. Uh, meanwhile, Imogen is kind of relaying all of what she's finding and seeing to FCG um, and kind of keeping them up to speed. And because of that, the rest of the party is like, OK, well, we got to go catch up to her because she's near this thing um, and help her out. So they are trying to stealthily make their way to Imogen. Um, but unfortunately, Fern rolls pretty bad on this like group stealth check that they make. And she like knocks over a piece of rubble or something. But. Whatever it is, it gets the beast's attention um, instantly. And so everyone has to roll initiative. And um, in this quick moment right before that happens, we do have FCG um, thinking about casting tongues to maybe be able to communicate with this thing. And Fern also activates her gloom scale breastplate, I believe for the first time, which it covers in this like frost energy. So like I said, we have rolled initiative, but uh, the beast is actually the first to act with a natural 19 and just runs straight for Fern as she's the one that made the noise and basically just gores her for like 42 damage. Um, she gets sent back flying 20 feet and knocked prone. Um, Fern's actually next up, so she tries to cast the spell Dominate Beast on it. 
<clears throat> and even though it has advantage on wisdom saves, the spell actually succeeds and the beast is dominated. Um, so the battle is now essentially halted for one minute while this spell is in effect. So Fern gets up, walks up and just starts like petting it. Um, and Imogen takes this time to try to convey uh, with this with this beast um, kind of through emotions with her telepathy, uh, trying to just convey that like, we're not here to hurt you. We just want to help. And with a high persuasion role, this is actually successful. Deanna and FCG toss some healing into Fern after she took that big attack. And Frida actually like slides up under the beast and just readies the gun right at its heart in case anything goes wrong or if this minute runs out. Um, meanwhile, Chetney decides to dash toward the throne room itself and look for any like hidden doors or potential alternate escape routes, um, but isn't able to quite make it there with his movement yet. Um, FCG then does indeed use tongues to communicate with this beast. And they say that, hey, we'll help you get where you want to go. Just tell us what's going on. Like nobody else needs to get hurt. Um, and also during this, they do find the plaque. And I believe it's Deanna that reads it because um, I think she's the one that speaks Elvish. Um, and it says, in memoriam of the fall of Molesmere. And the creature just says, like, I, I just want to go home. Um, I just suddenly kind of woke up. These people all started attacking me. So I attacked back. But, you know, I, it was out of fear. It was out of confusion. Um, around about now is when the minute of Dominate Beast fades uh, and so we kind of have this group persuasion slash animal handling check uh, that kind of encompasses everything they've been doing over this past minute to see how the beast reacts to them now that the spell's off. And they actually all rolled really well. So as the spell fades, the beast does not attack and just simply asks them, how do I get out of here? Um, and they do find out that this beast's name is Umadara um, and is the sentinel beast. So... Now the group is like, okay, what's the best plan of action here? We got to make sure that we can actually escort this thing out through the, you know, thousands of people, hundreds of guards and like get him out of the city. So ultimately Imogen and FCG decide to run ahead and try and explain what's happening while also casting calm emotions on people if need be. Um, so they get back up to the gate that they came through. Um, and Imogen yells through and she has a massively high persuasion role. I think it was like 29 or, or 30, maybe even. Um, and so they open the gate for her. And again, there's hundreds of guards here. The king and queen are like right out here. They're taking this very seriously. Uh, they can't possibly cast calm emotions on all of these people, but they do cast it on some of the ones in front and basically explain the situation saying we've managed to talk to this thing and we're going to walk it out peacefully. Just like give us our space. Let us pass. Um, most of people are like, what the heck are you talking about? And find this very hard to believe. But one guard in particular steps forward and says that, you know what, like I trust them. Let's do this. Um, so they all have their weapons ready, but they clear a path for the beast. and. Then we have this procession of um, most of Bell's Hells and this sentinel beast kind of parading through the city um, as everyone looks on very, like, very surreal. Um, so they make it out of the city with tension remaining high the entire time. And they tell Umadara that, hey, the Savalier Wood um, is to the south, uh, but uh, he doesn't sense it. But he's like, OK, I trust you guys and I'll head that way. And he says thank you basically right as the tongue spell fades away. 
Uh, while this was all happening, Chetney actually stayed behind and has been just like searching the empty palace and throne room. Um, it's good thing there wasn't like combat or something. Yeah, <laughs> or something it would have been in really big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so he's since he's in this throne room by himself, he decides to carve his initials on one of the thrones, and they're actually adorned with all this like precious gems and stuff. So he pops a few of those out and pockets them. And then is just kind of inspecting and he finds the symbol of the all hammer that actually is like a false switch. And so he pulls it, which reveals this hidden door behind the thrones. And uh, it's essentially a secret passageway, kind of like a, a quick escape if needed be. Um, so he follows that down and it eventually comes out at another part of the city um, and where he kind of pops out. People are still kind of swarming all over from the chaos of, of what's happened here. And a guard notices him, but Chetney is just immediately like, ah, like, uh, help me. And uh, so he, the guard, of course, understands because of the chaos. And they're like, yeah, yeah, get over here. You're, you're going to uh, be fine. It's a blanket um, around him. Yeah. <laughs> they treat him like a hero, basically. Um, <laughs> and it's around then that we cut back to the rest of the party being like, hey, maybe we should go check on Chetney. And that's where the episode ends. Um, episode 53. Ripple. Yeah. <laughs> Great job, man. Yeah. And um, Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you uh, if you liked our recap, you want to hear our full discussion, like I mentioned, the link will be down in the full description box below. But with that being said, my friend, it's time for our usual. What'd you think? Loved it. As usual. <laughs> if you guys are getting tired of this, you can just always skip like the first two minutes from a recap because <laughs> they're pretty much always going to be like, Loved it. Yeah. If we're going to devote four hours of our lives every week to this, we're probably pretty bought in. <laughs> I like, you're right. I would like, I'm trying to think if we've ever had like a, eh, it wasn't really me. I don't know if we've had that yet, but I'd like to think we maybe, if we, we genuinely felt that way, would say it, but we, that just hasn't happened. Yeah. I know like the orgy episode, which <laughs> people are just casually listening. They're like, <laughs> what? I know there was that one where I was like, all right, let's move on. <laughs> We had, you know, both of us had to kind of different uh, perspectives on it. I like that. I feel like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but then there was, I think it was an episode like earlier on where I was like, this was the low point for me. Like it was very much like, what are we doing? So I, I oh yeah, I, I kind of remember that now. I do think if we were, yeah, if we didn't like it, we'd be like, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, here we are defending our <laughs> unbiased affection for. <laughs> That's right. It's um, deeply biased, but no, I loved it. I thought it was great. How about you? Yeah, I did too. And I will, we'll talk about this a bit more in depth, but I just, I really loved how the whole Umadara encounter played out. Um, yeah. Um, the first half of the episode was incredibly atmospheric. Like I feast on that kind of stuff, man. Like where like I loved how Matt described the, um, detect thoughts, like kind of like getting just like parts of sentences and then like they lose it yeah and uh, just the vibe of the city was like um i don't know it was something i wasn't expecting from the apogee solstice i just didn't i knew there'd be an impact but it was kind of cool i wasn't expecting to get like that firsthand like here's a place so far removed that has been thrown into chaos um and then the second half well, i thought was peak D D. like here's a situation yeah. Um, it had everything you want in a D&D session. Shenanigans, like what's the silliest, craziest way we can handle this encounter? Uh, and then how many times can we beg the DM to <laughs> do something for us? 
I loved Abria being like, can I have advantage? Yeah. <laughs> and Matt being like, just because? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, no. <laughs> but that happened a couple of times where I think uh, Laura Bailey also was like, you know, really trying to get some get some help from Matt. But yeah. Um, anyway, I thought it was a great episode overall. Yeah, me too. Um, and uh, there's a lot of different facets of this I want to talk about, but uh, to kind of touch on you talking about the atmosphere and the vibe, um, I agree. And to kind of move that into something I want to talk about, I think it's just so cool. And Matt did a great job of, of building this vibe, um, kind of seeing this uh, uh, apocalyptic, I guess is appropriate, uh, the apocalyptic ramifications of what's happening on the world at large. Like, it's so cool to see like this shitty city, like shut down almost in a way, like all the temples were closed. A lot of the stores were closed and it's because like stuff's happening with like this old, old magic that everyone has always relied on just all of a sudden not working. And like, what would people do? How would the world react to that? And not that it's like a, not not that it's like a a, a straight line comparison, but it kind of reminded me of like early COVID when the world shut down and just being like, what is like, where, what is, what are we living right now? This is so weird. And that's kind of the vibe I got from Uthodern, um, just with, you know, all like all these scribes and educated people are just out there trying to figure out like, what the hell's going on? We can't send messages. We can't teleport. Um, I, I just, I can sink my teeth into that. I really like that we kind of have this moment to let that, to let that world building breathe and, and see the, the ripple effects of what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I even like, it, it was very COVID-esque, <laughs> but I even like, um, I don't know. I, I, I like when things like this play out the way you kind of think it would like, Whenever they meet the scribe warden, how there wasn't like a the scribe wasn't the scribe warden wasn't like yeah this is happening here. Do you think it's happening elsewhere too? But like very genuinely felt like something's happening to Uthodern, uh, which is I think how people would would react. They would most most uh, quickly assume like or not assume but think about their like immediate loved ones and their city and their yeah. town. Um, I don't know. It just felt a lot more tangible for me. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, it felt r realistic because, like, why would you assume that the whole world blacked out? You would just assume that, oh, my, my city block has having a blackout. Um, yeah, like exactly. That's, yeah, I think you just that one analogy said it way better than me just fumbling a second ago. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if you suddenly lost internet and cell service, you would assume like something's happening in your town, but then to find out it's everywhere would like probably freak you out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which, it, uh, which obviously makes sense given what's happening, but it's not something I thought about until Matt like described it in this episode. So I really enjoyed getting to see that. And I'm kind of curious what exactly is happening here um, because some magic still works, uh, but clearly yes. some doesn't. And yes. I believe they at times kind of tried to parse, like, is it just divine magic? But I don't really think the line is that is that clear. No, and I'm on my other monitor here because I was looking up. Um, it seemed like the way they described it was it's divination magic. 
but sending isn't a divination spell. Mm -hmm. So I was just looking up to see what school it is. It's an evocation spell. So I pulled up the spell list um, for divination magic and evocation magic. And so I think it's either, and not that necessarily Matt has maybe gone into the weeds of like, the factors that like here's what here's what works and here's what doesn't work right because there yeah. were like divination spells like i think he said tongues we had a moment where sam tells matt he says hey it's it is a divination spell and matt's like okay yeah um so it's not like blanket divination which is what i thought originally but looking at the spell list i'm wondering if it's spells that have unlimited range uh which would be um telepathy uh, it would be um, the sending spell that I mentioned. Um, it would be um, I guess teleportation, really teleportation, which is divination. Um, sorry, I don't. I have these on different tabs, so like I'm, uh, and then like scrying. Uh, right. You know, that's another example of one. Um, communicating with other planes, communicating with nature, things like that. Maybe not with nature, but um locate creature you get the point i mean mm -hmm. these things that are more like macro oriented away from yeah. like where you're localized it seems like those things are being affected either within divination evocation or just regardless of spell type just anything that's you know because of this sort of white noise that's taken over exandria yeah that that's where i'm that's where i'm feeling about it as well that it's it's not like a hard and fast rule of these schools of spells don't work it's more of a Localized magic works, but long ranging is having trouble because of, like you said, this static or you know the the what are they whatever they call it, the ley lines maybe are interfering with things. Um, so there's obviously that whole aspect of it. But real quick before I say that though, um, like the lights being dimmer in Uthadur, yeah, like I, was I, that because of whatever's happening? It seemed like it was, but like why? Like that's kind of a weird effect. I didn't say it in the recap because I wasn't sure of it, but I feel like that was part of the reason why people were spooked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, it was darker earlier than it needed to be, which I couldn't tell if it was because like the magical, because they ask like a specific question about the lighting, like the way it works. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know if it was because like the magical localized enchantments weren't working or like, you know, eclipse ruidous eclipse type of deal that like exandria has like this onset darkness of some kind I, I don't know but yeah there's definitely something happening with the lights too that has people freaked yeah because like chetney said i've never seen the lights this dim in like all my time here um so yeah i wasn't that's it's definitely happening but how to parse that uh, as it, if is, is it related to the weird magic stuff is it related to that i don't know but um and that's kind of the distinction I want to build into because given all the stuff we said about the the wide-ranging magic, there's also these other effects that are seemingly not necessarily directly that, but they're still happening, i.e. this like mass disenchantment of, of certain yes. things. Yes. Um, so this are those, most freaked out yeah, are those two effects the same thing like was there one pull like whatever it is we don't know really the the ins and outs of this yet so it's kind of hard to explain but like i'm wondering if we're dealing with like two separate side effects or this is one thing that is causing both the magic disturbance and the the, the well, disenchantment let's call it yeah at first i thought it was like a disenchanting of like deity-esque things um like if there's a connection to a god in some way building off of what Deanna said about if she felt like the 
uh, the um, All Father was sort of pulling back. Like, yeah. then are we seeing the physical representation of that, these things that are reducing or becoming weaker or not working? But things like the lights doesn't necessarily seem like it's connected right. to a deity. So it, and I don't know if these things are simultaneously true that it's like that and also just magic in general, or if it's just, just an overall, like things are impacted in some way. Um, and again, maybe, maybe there isn't like a hard and fast role to it, you know, where it's, right. it's even point, there's even a point in talking about it, but um, I'm really intrigued by the line about age old enchantments, like yeah. being lifted that yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking like implications for Exandria going forward. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack with that. And again, like we just said, we don't really know the nuance of what exactly is happening, but I'm going to go through a, a few potentials here and maybe these things would be affected, but maybe they wouldn't, we don't really know. Um, but the one thing, that I thought of that, that Travis, I think even brought up at the table immediately was the horn of Orcus, which um, is from campaign one. And I think that, I don't know if you'll remember, but um, I know you watched uh, parts of the beginning of campaign one. So you, you might've, I think seen this part. Um, this is where they bring it to. Yeah. So they, they finding this, get, yeah, this sorry, entity named Kivarn in yes, campaign yeah. one who was in possession of one of the horns of Orcus. And I'm not going to get into like the full lore of the item, but it's basically a bad thing. So after they have this thing, they're like, we got to make sure this doesn't fall into the wrong hands. So they take it to Vasselheim and they have um, the, the temple of uh, Bahamut, the uh, platinum sanctuary. They give it to them to like seal away and make sure like it's, it's all good. Um, so if, if, that seal is now dispelled or, you know, whatever we want to call it. Um, that could be a massive problem. We also have, which you alluded to in, in the recap, the Ukatoa. Um, you know, we've got the orbs that uh, the Mighty Nine gave to various parties. And I think Ford kept one. He didn't tell anybody what he did with it. But at right. least some of the ones he, they gave to responsible parties were presumably locked away with with magical whatever that might be gone now. Um, we or have Ferris. Yeah, I was going to say, even, even Ukatoa being like divinely banished or sealed away. Right. Like, could like, yeah. That... Maybe the orbs don't even matter anymore. Maybe he's I mean, just free. I think if it'd be pretty, you know, tomorrow, the next episode, Ukatoa is <laughs> like ravaging the world. I mean, <laughs> I doubt that happened, but I am just wondering enchantments on creatures. Well, that was where my mind immediately went. Yeah. And then we saw that seemingly happening with this great beast um though it may not have been like divine you know it could have just been like a petrification enchantment of some kind but mm -hmm. anyway continue with uh there is dune yeah there's dune um which again i don't want to get lost in the weeds on explaining what each of these things are but very very bad news there's dune and he is locked away with these basically shackles at different points in the world that are like the shackles are, what, are what's keeping him at bay. Um, mm, okay. So those have been dispelled or ruined, as it were. Like, what does that mean? Um, and a few other things that I just randomly started, or um, a few other things that I randomly started thinking about was uh, like what powerful prisoners might, that, yeah. that were locked away with arcane magic or something might now be free. Um, right. What, uh, 
uh, what if the uh, Silken Squall, which is Dorian's, where Dorian's from, his parents there, like yeah. the, the royalty there, that's like a floating city. Like, what if that just fell out of the sky? Well, they did uh, say it that seemed like the brooms, which I don't know if it's powered by brimstone. Uh, I feel like they talked about it if it was or not. I can't yeah, remember. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I would assume said, it is, but I don't know. I think they said the brimstone still worked. Or actually, okay. no, I think they asked if it did. And the scribe warden said, well, we don't have a skyport here, so how would we know? Um, but that would be insane. If, yeah, that would be awful. Yeah, I mean, skyships just fell out of the sky and... I mean, geez. Yeah. And then imagine, I was going to say, imagine being in this like catastrophic moment and you're just in like the white sand dunes or whatever, like the snow dunes thinking like, yeah, everything's kind of crazy, I guess. Like totally unaware that there's like an area with like falling sky ships and like prisoners like breaking out. Yeah. You just assume like, I guess nothing's happening right now, you know? And then that'd be pretty crazy if that was the case, but. Yeah, I mean, okay, honestly, that 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 list of things I just listed, even if none of those things happened, there are still obviously crazy just yeah. day-to-day normal ramifications that would cause probably a lot of casualties and mass chaos with just ma- like certain magics just stopping to work. Right. Um so yeah, even without with even without like the big bad implications, I think there's definitely chaos happening in like major cities and um, I mean, yeah, if the world ended and you it's day 4 and you didn't even know it, you know, cuz you can't talk to anyone, you have no communication. That's all I have to say. So, you're muted by the way. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying that's crazy. Um the only other things I thought about was um and I think I I I think we've talked about this at some point in past episodes um but in the ruins of aeor um in, in campaign two they came across these portions of it which were like locked in these like frozen time bubbles as it were so it'd be interesting if that like frozen time bubble got wiped away and now mm-hmm. all those people are just like back yeah. um and the only other this this isn't like a big one but uh you guys saw campaign too, you know, Jester sends a lot of sending spells. It's like her favorite thing to do. So I just thought, you know, she's got to be beside herself, uh, not being able to check in on people. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't know what to make of this. Clearly it's, it's chaotic. Clearly it's, it's definitely going to have far reaching ramifications, but I I'm curious what your thought process is on what is is whatever that is, what freed U- Umahara? Is that his name? Umahara? Whatever. Um, I think that was his name. I guess I can yeah, just I think so. scroll back up in my notes. Um, um, Umadara. Yeah. I mean, uh, pr- presumably that's exactly what freed him. But yeah. like, I, what I'm curious about is, like you mentioned, it was a statue. So clearly he was petrified in some form or fashion. And so they thought this thing was a statue and they put it in the, the throne room or whatever. Um, two parts that doesn't really seem like any of the other types of, of magic we've talked about uh, as far as like, it's not a, it's not a far ranging spell. So like, why is that dispelled? But maybe it's, you know, maybe it's more related to this, this mass DE, but like magical items weren't at least the bells, hells that we're aware of their magical items didn't get messed up. Um, and it's, maybe it's not something worth like trying to, to pick 
to pick at the nuance of like this is a D game maybe this is just one cool effect of the solstice that doesn't need like a rational explanation for why it was affected versus you know something yeah. else um but the timing of it i think is a bit strange because it's been three or four days and now four days later this thing breaks free because surely the implicate surely we're not supposed to believe he's been rampaging for four days in there and they're all just no, out in the street he, still yeah you make a great point it's we're on day four, and yet in this conversation, they hear the noise, which I'm a little unclear what that noise was um, compared to, like, this beast. Yeah, I was wondering if it was, like, the moment of f- him breaking free or something, like the moment yeah, okay. of immersion from the statuesque state. But yeah, why on day four? Why didn't this happen immediately? immediately? as the ritual like was complete. Yeah. Or at least as immediately as whenever everything else happened, like whenever, like if, yeah. um, if imagine it, it was like a EMP pulse from the point of the key to the rest of Exandria. I mean, not, not that it would take four days to reach Uthodurn, but presumably Uthodurn has been dealing with whatever this has been for at least a while. So like, why didn't the bull thing happen right then? And why did it happen now? Maybe when we get the other story, the other side of it, maybe day four is when Pradathos mm. is actually freed. I don't know. Okay, that's a good point that I wasn't thinking of. Because, yeah, we have the moment of the Malleus Key impact, for lack of a better analogy here, drilling into Ruidus. We know that Bell's yeah. Hell's affected by destroying power cores and stuff. They affected this process. So maybe the more that goes on, like, the more effects yeah. will be felt around the world. So that, that makes sense to me. Like now that it's been four days and the Malleus key has drilled this far into Ruidus, we've now reached this stage of disenchantment mm-hmm. magic that now affected the, the beast. I feel like I can, I can get behind that. Yeah. I mean, I could just see it being kind of cool going to the other side and then we, us getting like a moment around day four where we can kind of like, because that, I mean, Matt certainly has thought of this, not this exact scenario, but the fact that, you know, we're day four into this, into the um, Wild Mount team, presumably going to have, I would assume, at least more than one episode, at least, I would say, at least a few more with this group. Maybe, I don't know, we could have one more. But going back to day one of, I mean, sh- surely Matt has thought about like little subtle details that yeah. sort of line up line up the timelines. Um, so I can see it happening. Yeah. Um, it, I, I came before we had this discussion, I came into it with that being a really big question mark, but I like that. And I can now make sense of it. Not, I'm not saying that's for sure what the case is, but that, that checks out for me. And yeah, I think Matt definitely probably has all those things, you know, in his mind for yeah how he's going to plot this out. But yeah, I am curious I mean, it seems like we're at least getting one more episode with these people. Um, again, I can't remember, but I feel like something to that effect was even said at the end of the episode, maybe. Um, I think he said, like, we'll see what happens next or something. Yeah. So, yeah, presumably another episode. Um, I at, at this pacing, though, I wouldn't be surprised if we have, I would say, several more. But, like, if we were, like, three or four more episodes into the story, I could see it. And we talked about this last week. How it's a little strange to envision like the one team like taking like two months off of critical role. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe 
Well, what's interesting is, and again, we talked about this last time, but it's, it's kind of hard to parse together with their pre-recording schedule because we don't know when they're recording. We don't know if they're in bulk recording. Um, but what's interesting is both of the last two episodes, the whole cast has been in the studio because they're all there at the at the start of each episode, you know? Yeah. So it's not as if like Laura and Travis are on, uh, or, well, never mind. They're not even together. Uh, wrong couple to use as an example, but it's not as if like Liam O'Brien's on vacation because he's still showing yeah. up at the studio. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, I, I really, uh, I already, I already talked on this, so I don't want to retread it, but I'm really glad we're getting this glimpse of the world, like through Uthodurn. I think that's really cool that we're seeing these effects of the world. I think it could be like a cool, like we're getting that kind of, that kind of pace and experience of the solstice. I think it would be cool if when we move to the other group, it's like much more like, like all like, cause they're still not right next to it, but they're much closer than other team is. So I feel like what they're going to be dealing with is going to be much more like high stakes, high tension, high paced, like, not let's yeah. go let's go to Uthodurn and you know see what's going on there um, I already mentioned like yeah let's go to the heart of the the Dwindalian Empire and someone was like it's going to take you two weeks and they're like oh, oh. <laughs> we get like a two week travel montage <laughs> they find a bandit cave you know episode 56 <laughs> the bandit cave <laughs> they just the other party just never comes back <laughs> yeah I, I totally agree I, I'm enjoying this for what it is um, it's one of the, I, I don't know, like the word for this, but like the phrasing around, like, I like it for what it is. And in retrospect, re- retrospect, I'll like it a lot more, but like when I'm actually watching it, there is like this tension between I'm enjoying this. Um, Christian and Abria are amazing. I'm really enjoying them at the table, but I'm also feeling a level of impatience towards like, man, I, I want, I just wonder what's happening with the other group. Yeah. Um, and wondering like when when will we get back to it i wonder because this i guess at this point now this is the first time we've had in the history of critical role this amount of time where the party has been separated is that right i think so so during the and i could be mistaken because i haven't watched them in forever but i think in the trials of the take it was it was two per in the trials of the taken campaign one they split up into two groups similar to this and i want to say it was two episodes with each group um so yeah, if if we come back and it's a third episode of of Team Uthodurn, which it seems like it is, then yeah, that'll was, then be the longest. This was episode three, right? Was it? I think this was just episode two. Since oh, since the well split, then, <laughs> I guess. Okay, I guess it hasn't been the longest. And I was thinking this was three, but I guess you're right. Um, well, I think your point still stands because I'm pretty sure we're going to ha- get three. But Yeah, you're right, because 51, 51 was the Apogee Solstice. So, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, and, and we're, we're off this week, which I don't think it's fair to count the off week because that's just mm-hmm. inevitable. But just in terms of actual real time from our perspective as viewers, it's going to be a pretty long time because that'll be – if they do come back with the same group, that's that's four weeks right there, even though three are only played weeks. Um, and th- I mean, maybe they'll even have a fourth episode. I can't imagine, though, that they're going to be a part of that long. Um, I, mean, I don't know. They they didn't really resolve anything like we talked about the things that 
it felt like needed to happen before they could move away from the story. Yeah. They didn't really make any headway on it. Like we talked about mostly Chetney with Oltgar. Um, I feel like there were more threads there. Um, Jacoby. Uh, uh, is that, that the FCG guy? Yeah. Or Jacoby. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, this could all happen in one episode. I don't know. But we, we said this, uh, like they could hit these things, but they would, they probably wouldn't get like the full, we have old guard. We have Jacoby. We have the Molesmere woods or the Savalier woods. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about that as like its own separate thing too. Um, yeah. but yes, well, my, my point is like, there's, there's a lot of things to hit still that we didn't really get any progress on this episode. Right. Right. Um, which is why I have a hard time seeing them be done after next episode. True. I, that, that's totally fair. And I guess it's just, it's just, what's the, what's the balance of like exploring at least some of that to the extent that it makes sense versus being able to, and really with Chetney is the main one. Cause that's like a, that's like a main thing. Let's call it mm-hmm. like, that's like his, his main backstory thing as far as, as far as we know. Um, so I don't feel like we're going to fully explore that. I think we'll obviously get, get something in that, in that light. Um, but as far as going to see the the FCG guy, Jacoby or whatever, that that scene could happen in 10 minutes, honestly. You know, like, let's go visit him. Oh, here's an upgrade that he can do for you. Um, so I think that I think we'll touch on it. But I still think, obviously, what the solstice and all that stuff is, is going to take precedent. Um, so I could see it being one more episode because we do have the 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 leverage, if you will, of now Bell's Hells being like heroes to the city. You know, maybe they get an audience with the king and queen and are like, hey, we need your resources to get to here, like to get to back to wild or Marquette. You know, I could just see the Yeah, go ahead. What did the lead guards stick up for them? Because I was thinking, like, how's this going to work with hundreds of guards? And Travis even joked, like, they killed Carl or the the bull killed Carl. Like, (laughs) you know, and Sam obviously isn't like actually casting calm emotions like it was very much like a DM grace, like, yeah, right. sure you cast, you know, but close to the book, it would have had to have been like, and you get, you know, calm emotions and you get calm emotions. Yeah. We had this one guard who was like, I don't know why, but I feel like we can trust them. Do we feel like that's like a, is that a softball from Matt just to help them kind of fall through with this idea they really love? Or do you think we're going to get like a story point next episode on there's a connection with the guard that they're not aware of um, and maybe as like an ally they weren't expecting. That, that's entirely possible. Um, and I think that would be cool. But yet for my money, it was my, the way I processed it was that one guard was one of the ones that they had cast calm emotions on. And I guess kind of like you said, kind of like a, a little bit of a, a, a grace from Matt in that this, this one that they cast it on was, well well esteemed well thought of enough that the other ones listened to them yeah um, okay. but yeah um so yeah that's how i read into it but i it would be cool if, if that character showed up and got fleshed out a little bit more if there was any more to that um but yeah that was my best take at it mm-hmm. um but yeah it seems like they have clout now for lack of a better word that that could maybe get the ball rolling. Like, uh, yeah. like I said, maybe they have an audience with the King and queen and can talk to them and then have their resources to help them get out of Uthodurn and get to where they need to go. How are they going to go anywhere? They don't have a skyship. 
They clearly yeah. can't teleport anywhere. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that, but yeah. Did that, you see they went to Melesmere in season two? They've they went to, they went to Aeor. They've been to a- they went to Aeor. Yes, I, they've never been to Melesmere proper, which because it's like ruins now. Um, yeah, maybe they'll find a portal to the excavation site. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, I do want to talk about that and the Sentinel Beast and all that stuff. Uh, is there anything else with whatever we're currently talking no, about? That? Okay. I don't think so. So, and this is stuff we've we've kind of talked about in trickles over the past few episodes. But, um, so let me make sure I get. Bro, we uh, gotta pull some of these sound bites up yeah. from our previous episodes because it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy how much we Pepe Sylvia this, and now we're getting like. I think Matt must have watched that episode, and, and then, obviously, obviously, yeah, he was like, "This is like, gold, Jerry." Gold, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but so Veluthil, Veluthil. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that was the original name for the Savalier Wood um, back in the day, okay. and uh, Molesmere was like the, the a city there um, that Ludinus. I think he's from, I don't now. Now that I say that I'm worried that that's not necessarily hard fact, but I, I think so. I'll fact um, check. I gotcha. Keep going. So, uh, it's now called the Savalier wood, uh, which Savalier means guilt in Elvish, uh, because the place has been like ruined, destroyed, corrupted is the better word to use. And that corruption has just spread, um, which we know, Ludinus was obsessed with with Aeor, like we now pretty much have confirmed. Ludinus was around back then, so it even may have been him originally in Aeor that was doing these experiments with the Calamity artifacts and, you know, making the original Malleus Key. It's not really important whether he was a part of that or not, but he might have been. Um, we know he was obsessed with Aeor and, you know, excavating those crash sites Um and we know that the Molesmere accident, incident, if you will, that caused the destruction and the corruption of the Savalier Wood came from experimenting on these Aeorian artifacts. So, which was probably lewdness, if not directly, then overseeing it. And so it's just interesting that now this is all kind of, it's all kind of being, it's all kind of being packaged together, which if they don't, if Bell's doesn't find a way to like get to Marquette as it were, maybe, maybe they're put, maybe they put these pieces together and like, well, Hey, we're close to this place. Like let's go to the the source, not the source isn't the right word, but let's go to Molesmere and see what we can find out. And maybe that leads them somewhere. So it's according to the critical role wiki, uh, Ludinus Deleth from the explorer's guide to Wildmouth is cited as a survivor of the fall of Molesmere. Okay. Uh, and its relation to campaign two is that Riani, Riani agreed to be available Rainy. as support for the Uthodernian expedition to Melesmere in exchange for granting the Mighty Nine access to the Vellum Steeple teleportation circle. Okay, yeah. So I guess they did go there in campaign two. I, just, I couldn't remember. But yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, anyway, the whole point of all that was that clearly Melesmere, the Savalier Wood and stuff is all directly tied to to Ludinus's machinations. So we could see Bell's Hells, the half that's in Uthodern, maybe head there for more answers or for more investigation. Um, but this, this Sentinel Beast, I just, 
thought this was fascinating. It, it was seemingly like this was a, a catch-all group name for like a few of these beasts, like the great beasts or whatever. Clearly, Matt's played Breath of the Wild because it was very much divine beast <laughs> energy. Yeah, I mean, it was literally celestial and beast, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, which the way he described it reminded me of, uh, oh, it just flew out of my head. Um, but Xerxes's, uh, yeah, Mount. Uh, Griffin. Yeah. Yeah. What was his oh, name? Yeah. Um, how could you not remember? <laughs> uh, what was his name? Uh, it's not important, Xerxes. but it reminded me of that. <laughs> I typed in Xerxes calamity and it autofilled so big. <laughs> what? Okay. Whoa. Um, what was his mount's name? Tempest. Tempest. Yeah. Reminded me of Tempest. Um, but so clearly, you know, one, what happened to, to Umadara? Is it maybe perhaps the same accident, let's call it, that led to the destruction and corruption of the Savalier Wood? Maybe the same thing is what petrified him. Um, cause clear, like, in Umadara's mind, he doesn't know that his home is gone. So he must have been petrified before that corruption yeah. happened. So maybe it was like at the same time. If, or maybe, if, yeah, maybe when the, was like a slow spreading corruption or was there like a singular event that like corrupted everything and like Molesmere fell? We haven't gotten like in-depth details, I don't think. Okay. But my understanding is like like they were experimenting on these Aorian things. Presumably, this is probably re related to lewdness and trying to recreate the Malleus Key. Something went awry. So I'm imagining like an accident, like maybe an explosion. That's not necessarily yeah. true. but um, And then that led to this now spreading corruption. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, so I wonder if the accident petrified it. Yeah, it it at least makes sense. But in any case, he was petrified before that happened because he's not aware of it. Um, so one, I just thought the world building and uh, the lore behind these these great beasts was very interesting, and I wanna I wanna know more. Um, are there other petrified beasts out there that people think are statues that maybe have also gotten free um, across the world? But it's kind of it's kind of sad that uh, they didn't which I'm not saying they should have, but no one kind of filled in this beast on what he's going to find when he goes South. Like, is it going to go berserk? Oh, you think he's heading to the Savalier woods? Yeah. I mean, he definitely is. Right. Cause he wanted to go home and that, yeah, that's where that's they pointed right. him. Um, I am pretty dumb. I just kind of thought like you're in nature now. <laughs> <laughs> go enjoy yourself. So, so yeah. could, they, could they run into it again? At least presumably, one interesting thing that, that I thought about that kind of ties into this, and not that I think we're leading up to another cameo, but uh, one of the members of Mighty Nine uh, is directly tied to the Savalier Wood, and their home is kind of like the last bastion of uncorrupted forest that their family has spent like protecting and making sure that corruption doesn't. Who's that? Overcome it. Uh, it's Caduceus. So oh, okay, cool. His family are like these 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 tenders, and they that's been their job to like make sure. Um, and so that was part of one of his his goals in campaign two was to figure out what's going on with this corruption, so I can save like my home and you know whatever. So if this beast goes to the Savalier Wood, he might run into Caduceus Clay, which would be really interesting. Um, and maybe again, like I said, if if 
Bell's Hells decides to go investigate this themselves, maybe they do. Uh, yeah. Because if if they do, it would only make sense to run into Caduceus. Like he'd be the he'll be the he he lives there, and also this would directly impact him. Not that the apocalypse doesn't in general, but um, yeah, I love that detail though. That'd be cool to get another another nice little. Uh, uh, I can't think of the word all of a sudden. Cameo? Not cameo. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is this word so hard for me? <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to get some in the next episode or two. You know, that clout that you mentioned, maybe an audience or something, um, maybe a little Altgar side story. And then I would assume the party's going to head to Molesmere and we'll get some some deets there that maybe even eventually allows them to return to their, their team in Marquette. Um, I mean, there's know. gotta be like, some reunion at some point. And yeah. I so the vellum, just, go sorry, go, go back from campaign two. So the vellum, I didn't realize anyone, I didn't know anyone had ever been to Uthader before. I didn't realize this was like mm. a campaign two location. Yeah. Yeah. So the vellum steeple has a teleportation circle. Yes. So if they could somehow even remove the white noise, could they somehow utilize that, I wonder? Like maybe they're given True. a quest to go to Molesmere by the king and queen, and in return, if they can like free... Because like, think about this. This this magic can't be permanently gone. I'm, I, I mean, I don't know, actually. I guess it could be like a very... From now on, it's a very high fantasy. Like we no longer have sending spells and you know, teleportation. It's very Lord of the Rings-esque of, like, on the ground, travel, whatever. Yeah. But I would assume, if it's not that, we're eventually going to get sendings back and teleportations and what have you. Um, so if that's the case, maybe they're sent to Molesmere, they come back, and in somehow freeing Uthodurn, they can take the teleportation circle to see their friends. Um, yeah, that, that honestly makes sense, because like we've talked about, there's kind of a few different things. There's, like, the the, the far reaching magic thing. And then there's also like this disenchanting thing. So they're not necessarily connected. So I could see the, the static let's call it. That's preventing this light wide ranging magic. Maybe that's just an after effect of how this solstice has been utilized. And when the solstice ends, maybe that ends. Yeah. Um, right. And so yeah. like, you know, like you said, maybe after they've done their molesmere or whatever it is they do and they've come back, maybe that type of magic's back online and that's how they reconnect. I, I could see that. Um, speak. Oh, that reminded me of something though that I did want to touch on. Um, Frida brought up an interesting point at, at some point during the episode, saying like, "I'll use my arcane core to power the magic, so you guys can can get what you yes. need to get done." And it was like, "What? What's with these aormatons and wanting to like make the sacrifice play?" I don't know if like, I don't I don't know. If, we can't really read into that to 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 extrapolate it to. Aormatons as a whole, it might just be a decision that Christian made that obviously Sam has made as well. But the fact that they're oh, both Aormatons is interesting. I, I like that theory though. I think if it's like deeply wired into them, I mean, think about it, if they're secretly murder bots, you know, the last it's like get captured or or self-destruct, you know, I could see it being hardwired into them to sacrifice for the whole or, mm. you know even sacrifice themselves. Um, so I, I like that detail and I think it's whether intentional or not, I think it's a nice little quick that makes sense to me. Yeah. It's interesting. And I'm, I'm, you know, we've been wondering 
if Sam is going to make some grand sacrificial play, uh, which I feel obviously still think is on the table, but especially for a guest character, like you don't, you don't have as much, you know, to lose as it were. So like, I could definitely see like Christian doing that if the opportunity presented itself. Yeah, I, I totally see that. Um, it's like, I'm in a little mini campaign with some friends right now and it's like, it's our final session tomorrow. So I'm definitely planning. If there's an opportunity to die, I'm <laughs> oh, going for it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> to heroically okay. go out swinging. So nice. Well, I'm gonna. We expect an update on that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, next week you're like, how'd it go? And I'm like, oh, we canceled like three yeah. times. Now, so <laughs> womp, like most D parties. Classic D and D, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm looking through my notes here, but I know there's there's one more thing I definitely wanted to talk about. Um, okay. And that's this Chetney stuff. Um, which it's not nothing really new that we learned, but I still wanted to, to, to unpack it a little bit. So we go. And one thing that was probably clear, uh, that I had just forgotten is I was wondering who the glass blades were, but now we know that the, that's like the guards. That's like the, yeah. the militia of, um, Uthodern. So when Chetney says the glass blades chased me out of the city, it's because they're the police as it were. And he's out here stabbing people. So that's, yeah. Whereas before I thought it might be like this sort of mafia esque entity. Same here. So yeah. Right. So that, that part we now know, we know that he has stabbed two people, one being old Gar, which I believe he said he stabbed in the hand. I might've gotten these crisscrossed though. And then there's this other person, which was the person that like came into their lives and started suggesting like, let's expand and do metal and stuff. But something's still maybe I think Chitty may just stab a lot of people because mentioned stabbing old Gar two episodes or last episode mentioned stabbed a dude, but maybe meant old Gar. But in this case, in this episode mentioned, it was a woman who came in who tried to partner with them. Um, Something is, did he stab a third person or maybe I'm just getting crisscrossed or I don't know, but. At the very least, there's two people he stabbed, which <laughs> At is, least two. We which know. is <laughs> Olgar and the the person. I missed the detail yeah. that it was a woman, uh, but and, maybe and maybe it wasn't. Maybe I misremembered. I'm not saying it wasn't. I I just yeah. I don't know. But he stabbed Olgar and that person that came to the business and and suggested metal or whatever. Now this has been something he said from the beginning of the campaign. Like it's been one of his character traits that he is obsessed with wood and thinks anything other than wood as a craftsman's material is blasphemy. Um, which I think is, is, is funny and it's, it's a good character choice. Um, but I don't buy it in that that's the true reason that all this stuff happened. Now I'm not saying it's not possible. Like maybe Travis, you know, that that's a fun thing to build off of. So maybe it is, but I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up to me because if that were all true, then what is with that ultra high tension moment in the shop when he ran into the other person that worked for Olgar is that if what he's saying is true, then that would also imply that that person like has a hatred for metal workers because they both hated Olgar and they both acted like people who'd been like deeply, deeply traumatized or abused or something. They were ready to kill yeah. each other when they, when they weren't sure like which side the other was on. And, well, you know? I was thinking Jenny came back and like brutally assaulted this person, but that was he somebody else. Someone else. <laughs> it was like the person selling the chisels, like the poor shop owner who's yeah, like the person who uh, like overcharged him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're right though. Yeah, there was like definitely in that first person store like this. Like, are we about to come to blows here? Um, which which I, doesn't make sense if if yeah. What he's and, well, saying knowing, is true. 
knowing how coy Travis was with his character early on, like, oh, I'm looking for to be like an apprentice or I'm looking for like a master woodworker and none of it's accurate. Um, definitely feels like he's holding some details close to the chest. Yeah. And that's not to say that elements of what he's saying couldn't be true. Um, I just don't, I think there's more to it than that, but it's just curious that, and I mean, this is, you know, this is a story. This is character development. This is how the narrative unfolds. So I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to do it, but I'm, I'm surprised that if he is still lying or at least lying by uh, omission, why he doesn't trust his friends enough to, to let them in even slightly on what maybe actually happened. You know, he's still so adamant to to tell that story of, yeah, I stabbed him because he wanted to use metal. Um, I think we might not to sound harsh. We might even be overvaluing their friendship. I mean, he's been alive a long think time. They're not there yet. I, I could see it. I could see them feeling like they're there yet. They're that they're there and Chetney not really. Yeah. I mean, think about this character. I mean, Deanna via a fling, as she put it, felt this connection with Chetney that took her back to Uthodurn. Um and Chetney I don't know. Having lived a long, long, long life, I could just see like, yeah, this is the party that I'm with right now, but not necessarily the party. Um, so I could understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I just, are you on the same page with me though? Oh yeah. I'm thinking that there's some, there's yeah. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, there's definitely something happening. I feel like, you know, the whole, um, the, the second floor thing, which to me, to me spoke of like business is flourishing. Yeah. Um, and expanding, which yeah. I think the implication maybe could be they started working with metal and it was a great, it worked like that was a good move. But I think the, the, the underlying thing could be like, whatever it is that's actually happening there is still going on. Like, and mm. then I'm not, I'm, this is like a shot uh, in the dark. Like I'm not putting yeah. my money behind this theory, but like, if they are like, assassins you know or something then you know business is still good you know maybe like maybe chenny didn't know if if this if this whatever horrible thing was happening was necessarily still happening but now he sees mm. that not only is it still happening like business is good i love that subtle detail i think that's a nice little well, a nice little breadcrumb for whatever he caused him to get out is still potentially happening yeah so yeah, I don't have much more to say on it than that, but I'm very, very curious what what what's left to unpack there. And uh, like I said, I don't think we'll have the time to like start and finish that personal quest, if you will. But it seems like we've got to get at least yeah. some layers pulled back while we're here. Yeah, well, I mean, for the sake of story, I doubt we haven't gotten much from him so far. I doubt we would like fully resolve it. Right. Um, or maybe we would, we get like a new deep, like, I feel like FCG's original backstory got in, in my mind resolved for the most part. And then now it's sort of transitioned to this relationship with the change bringer and, um, more finding like his original identity. So it's mm-hmm. all tied together, but sort of like the most leading part of it got resolved, right. um, which might be, end up being the case for Travis and, uh, and Chetney and Olkar. So, well, let us know what you guys think. I I, I was just, I was just ad-libbing. I was just going to say it would be interesting to see. Yeah. (laughs) 
let us know in the comments what you guys think about this one little detail and also what's going on with Melesmere. Are we going to get a little, little detail and some more details? Um, and what's going on with Uther and the world at large? Uh, tell us your thoughts and uh, let's chat about it. So, because we don't have an episode tomorrow, we got to wait. We got to wait a whole nother week, unfortunately. That's right. This doesn't so. fit into anything in the episode, but I had a, I had a, uh, 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 epiphany moment the other day when i was looking at this stuff um so real quick um you know we've we talked about the crown keepers and maybe what they're up to and you know some of the things dorian said was like we're kind of dealing with our own stuff and it's getting dark and there's been a focus on opal you know sp specifically her connection with the the spider queen and the crown um when i was doing my research and digging into the different things from this episode as as i was preparing for our podcast um one of the things that I got reminded of was this character from campaign two, which is like this assassin, this badass assassin um, called Jarrell. I might be mispronouncing it because um, it's, it's spelled weird. Um, but this is an assassin of the spider queen. She's like her champion in a way. And oh, cool. uh, in the explorer's guide to wild Mount, the like latest rumors about what this person and where this person is, is that they are looking for the circlet of barbed vision. So ah! Opal has a massive target on her back. And so maybe, maybe something with that could be what they were dealing with or could potentially be something we see them deal with. If we ever get a continuation of their story. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a big yikes. That's a yeah. big, uh Oh, so I just so. want to throw that out there for anybody that, you know, watch campaign yeah. two and knows who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the inevitable end. Uh, by the way, if you didn't recognize Jarrell, but you might recognize what a that great, title. Uh, what a great assassin title. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's okay. that's all I got. All right. Well, let us know what you thought about the episode and your favorite theories uh, in the comments below. And don't forget, we're on Twitter at the Pixelus. And also, you can listen to us anywhere listen to podcasts. If you're listening via the podcast right now, thank you guys. And uh, feel free to share it with a friend. And we'll be back in a couple days. Uh, well, we'll have the giveaway video that'll be up right after this one. And then we'll be back in a couple days with a couple more videos on The Last of Us and Diablo 4. Ooh, baby, that's right. And don't forget, you can also uh, join our Discord if you want to keep the conversation yeah. going. Yeah. Um, thumbnail. Thumbnail. All right. Who's going to... Go ahead. I was uh, So, you know, we've been, we've been doing uh, slightly different thumbnails as of late. Um so we're, I'm thinking maybe if if on this thumbnail I might try to find a picture of the beast. Yeah. Um. So maybe we could just do like either like scared of the beast or like amazed at it or something. Yeah. And fearful awe of yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. Nailed it. Already all, all right, well. Man. Yep. Have a good one and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you soon.